Last week, Jessica Waltman and I talked about all of the political changes that are happening. This week, we're going to ask Jessica what's happening on the regulatory front and how those changes might affect you and your clients. What does Jessica think? We'll find out on part two of this two-part episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change you want to see. This episode is brought to you by Shift Shaper Strategies. In sales, if you confuse, you lose. Clarify your message so you win more clients, crush your sales goals, and build your practice. Learn more at shiftshaperstrategies.com. And now, here's your host, StoryBrand Certified Guide and Chief Transformation Strategist at Shift Shaper Strategies, David Saltzman. Okay, this is part two of our interview with Jessica Waltman, one of our favorite folks and somebody who can actually separate truth from jive and give us the, the straight information on, on what things in Washington actually mean and how they do. Like in the last session, we talked about all things political, but as we often say on the podcast, it isn't just the political things we have to worry about. The regulatory items are the things that oftentimes have an even greater impact on a long-term basis and on a day-to-day basis in how we run our practices, how we interact with clients and that. So first, welcome back, Jessica. Thanks so much, David. I love being on the podcast. I had a great time talking with you about the political stuff last time, and now I'm excited to talk about nerdy details. Well, but nobody does nerdy details better than you do because you you can take the nerdy details and put them in language that we mere mortals understand. And that's part of the reason we love the audience loves having you on the podcast. So let's let's dive right in. Let's talk about the transparency rules, which I know is something that a lot of us feel strongly about. What's going on with that? Okay. So we have right now, you know, we're recording at the beginning of March and we have the Trump administration and also Congress, but, but mostly the Trump administration really interested in healthcare price transparency. And there's lots of people in Congress and in the states too that are, that really want to make um, healthcare prices more visible for everyone. But the Trump administration has realized that they have a lot of trouble getting things passed through Congress. Congress just really slow and cranky, basically. So they've plowed ahead with some transparency initiatives on the regulatory side. So they've got two out there. One is final, so it has the force of law, and that's a transparency initiative for hospitals. And then another one is a pending rule, and that's the one that would affect insurers and employer-sponsored health plans more directly. And so it's important to make a distinction because the hospital one is really the only one that's in force for right now. The insurer and employer sponsor one, it's just kind of out there in theory. The Trump administration could change what they've proposed, but it's something that a lot of people are talking about. Well, what do hospitals have to do now that this law is in, in place that they didn't before? And what kind of an impact might that have on consumers, if at all? Okay. So the hospital one, first of all, I would like to point out, 
is being litigated. So the hospitals have sued the Trump administration over this rule, and they are trying to stop it from being implemented. And they don't have to do anything until next year in January. So nothing's, you know, you're not going to see any effects of this right now. But what the hospitals would have to do is disclose publicly all of the rates that they pay, their negotiated rates with every single payer that they work with. So every single self-funded health plan, every single insurer for every single provider service bundled payment arrangement that they have, they have to make this public. They have to make it public in two ways. One would be through these um, machine-readable files that they'll have to put online. And that's where those files, you know, you and I would look them up and we wouldn't be able to understand them. It was just tons and tons of rates and numbers. But they're being required to be put out there that way so that people that can analyze data can scoop that up and then use that data to tell us more about what the hospitals are actually being paid for various services. And it's really looking at what does the hospital take home for these services. It's not really looking at what you or I might pay if we went into the hospital. Um, It's not really looking at our cost sharing or our responsibilities, but it does get that information out there. So you can see why one hospital might be being paid more than another and why one hospital system. Then the other thing that it requires is for you to have a list of common services that people get at hospitals. So it's pretty, you know, inpatient and out of patient treatment services. So, you know, things like an MRI and they have a list of common treatments. And then the hospitals also have to round that out of lists of things that they commonly provide at that hospital. So for example, the Trump administration's big list didn't include a lot of services that might be specific to say like a children's hospital. So a children's hospital list might be different than a regular hospital. Like they, some of the services that that were on the big list, the children's hospital might not have provided. And that needs to be an easy accessible format so that anyone could look up and say, okay, if I went to, you know, the children's hospital, Philadelphia, and I have X kind of healthcare coverage. This is a card that's on my wallet. What is the Children's Hospital of Pennsylvania going to be paid for my child's MRI that they're going to get at that hospital? And so I would have to be able to look at that and it would have to tell me what that rate was. It wouldn't really tell me what I would pay for that MRI, but it would give that information out there. As you can imagine, the hospitals and then also the insurance companies and the payers out there, they didn't want this secret information known. So they're suing and they're saying this is a violation. You know, it goes against, you know, trade protections and and, uh, you cannot have this out there. This is private information. We've negotiated it in private and it is not for public consumption. So that's being litigated. We'll see if that actually if that rule needs to be changed if it gets is able to be implemented that's an open question but that's the hospital rule that's out there 
And now, a word from our sponsor. It's a fact. Salespeople and organizations lose opportunities because they don't clearly communicate their value. In today's market, your story is your message. It should be crystal clear, perfectly arranged, and precisely targeted to attract the clients you want. As a certified story brand guide, we use the exclusive SB7 process to create that story and the websites and collateral that deliver it. If your message isn't cutting through the noise, we can help. Visit us at shiftshaperstrategies.com to learn how we can help you find, clarify, and deliver a message that wins clients, crushes sales goals, and builds your practice. In sales, if you confuse, you lose. So learn more and schedule that call today at shiftshaperstrategies.com. That's shiftshaperstrategies.com. And now back to our discussion. What are they trying to do with the insurers and the employer sponsors and the plans? And how does that differ from what they've asked the hospitals to do? Okay. So for the hospital, for the, for the employers, it's a little bit different. So what the employers and the um, insurers are going to be asked to do is they have to disclose the price that the, to consumers. Like they have to make it available to you and me, anyone that's part of the plan, you know, either through the fully insured plan or if you offer um, self-funded coverage, then the employer has responsibility. But really, it would have to be the TPA that would be doing this. They have to disclose a lot of information to consumers when they want to get it. So when they are about to go see a service. So basically they're saying that everybody needs to be able to get a lot of the information that's on your EOB now. Like they're looking at the EOB and they're saying that for somebody incurs the claim, the insurer and the employer plan sponsor has to have an online tool that anybody that participates in the plan is able to look at, you know, easy peasy, you know, get to that tells everybody their estimated cost sharing liability for whatever specific procedure or condition that person wants to get. So they have to be able to search it up easily and figure out and say, I want to go get a strep throat test how much is that going to cost me for my plan that I have with my insurer? What's my copay? What's my cost share of liability for that specific procedure or condition? Or I have, you know, um, I can only think of terrible conditions off the top of my head. I have leukemia. What would be my cost sharing liability for treating leukemia? Go. So they would have to have an online tool that would tell you that. Also, it has to reflect where I am in my cost-sharing liability to date as a plan participant. So where I am relative to my maximum out-of-pocket limit, where I am on my deductible, so how having this leukemia treatment or this strep throat test would affect that. What the carrier or the group plan has agreed to pay an in-network provider for the specific current service that I'm considering. So what is my in-network provider that I want to go to? What would they get paid for my strep throat test? What would they get paid for my leukemia treatment? Then also, what's the maximum amount of reimbursement that they're going to pay to an out-of-network provider for those same services? And then also, anything if there's a prereq 
for whatever I'm asking about. So if I need like a pre-authorization or if there's step therapy involved or anything like that, that also has to be explained to me in this online tool. So this online tool has to be capable of generating all of this specific information for me whenever I want to look it up. And I have to be able to look up these services by either the diagnostic code, which, you know, no one knows, but also in layperson's terms that I would be able to search under. So I would be able to type something and it would have to be able to tell me if I wrote strep throat test or whatever, or if I wanted to call that something else, it would have to be able to find it for me. And then I could look that up before I went and got services. And Addition- what's the status of that? So this is pending. Additionally, that's not just that's it. Like that seems like a lot, right? Because if you know how plans work on the back end, you're like, wow, that's going to be really hard for them to do. They do not have the technology in a lot of cases for them to do this. I mean, they could probably draw on prior authorization technology to make that happen, but you know, it's going to be a big lift. But not only that, the proposed rule is saying that if I don't have access to online or I just want it because I'm just one of those people that likes to get whatever I can get, which is true, by the way. But I push my envelope. I call them or I write to them or I, I, I request in some way this information in writing. The plan also has to come back and answer my sp- very specific request, whatever I dream up in writing within two business days. So that's really kind of a lot. And wow. if you're a fully insured, you know, say regular small group of 20, you can, you have liability, but you can cede your liability to your carrier via your contract. So you can make sure your carrier contract says the carrier has to do all of this for me. And if they don't do it, it's their fault. But. And presumably if you were self-insured, it would be the TPA's responsibility. Right. But in this self-insured scenario, you can't cede your liability. You can pay the TPA to do it for you. And make no mistake here, a fully insured group is also going to be paying their care extra to do this for them because this does not come cheap. But they do it via the contract, so it will affect premiums. But in a self-funded scenario, the ultimate liability for this getting done, as proposed, rests on the employer-sponsored plan. So that's kind of interesting. And well, but that's also consistent with ERISA. Well, it's consistent, right? I mean, you can assume fiduciary, you know, dual fiduciary responsibility. One of the differences here is though that this is not data that the employer necessarily has at their, their disposal. So one of the arguments employers and others are making is that we, you know, if the employer doesn't have the ability to achieve this without going to a third party, they don't have this data in hand then you're making them assume liability for something that they couldn't do themselves. Um, but then that's not it. There's more to this thing. They also have to disclose the negotiated provider payment rate for everything. So you have to put that out there online too. So that's really a lot as well. So you have to disclose negotiated rates And then also what you have historically allowed payment for covered items and services for an out-of-network 
providers. So they also have to put online all of their in-network rates, and then they have to go back and use de-identified historical claims data and say what we've actually paid people for for services out of network. Well, and that, that has to be also, online. That's also kind of consistent with the ERISA notion of precedent. So it is was a lot of this drafted with that in mind rather than the practicality of actually making it work in mind? Yeah, I'm sure that there was some of that going on. So so this is just all out there, what you could have to disclose, what plans wow. could have to disclose. So right now, this is hanging out there. They took comments on it and they closed the comments at the end of January. So as you can imagine, lots and lots of groups like the National Association of Health Underwriters, like the Council of Insurance Agents and Brokers, like the Association of Health Insurance Plans, like the Blue Cross, the Blue Shield Association, like the National Business Group on Health, entities like that, they've all provided a lot of input to the Trump administration on this. I am assuming even individual consumers and people that are pro-transparency have also sent in some thoughts. And now the Trump administration gets to take these thoughts and come back and finalize this rule. So I, it's possible that the Trump administration would just be like, you know what? We got all these thoughts and we're just going to let this sit out there for a while. And we're just not going to do anything with that. But some administrations do that with rules, but the Trump administration doesn't. They finalize stuff. So they will issue a final rule um, probably later this spring telling how this is going to need to work for employers plans and uh, also health insurance carers, fully insured carers, and what they actually have to disclose and when and why and how. They didn't really have a date on all of this in the original proposal, but my guess is that the soonest that that whatever was finalized would go into effect would be the start of the 2021 plan year. But it could even be later than that because I think one of the big comments is, wow, this is a lot. This might be interesting and helpful information for people to have, but it's going to take us a long time to be able to build this. And we don't have that right now. And then maybe some of these timeframes are a little unworkable. So that they may make changes to those. So we won't know what is final here and when anybody actually has to do it for a few months. And then also my guess is that the insurers at least, will probably also initiate a lawsuit relative to this if it's finalized because that disclosure of the data online makes them really nervous. At least for a while. And that's a great place to end our conversation for today. Jessica Waltman, Principal at Forward Health Consulting. Jessica, thanks so much for being back on the podcast, and we look forward to having you back again soon. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Shift Shaper Strategies and may not be reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without our express written permission. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. 